We're going to pick up the story in 1 Kings 19 and verse 15. This comes on the exact heels of what we left off in January, where Elijah's coming out of that cave, putting his mantle back on, and being recommissioned by God Almighty. Pick it up in verse 15. The Bible said, The Lord said unto him, unto Elijah, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. If you, if you remember, we, we studied Mount Horeb and Damascus, and they were like total opposites. You know, Elijah went all the way south to Mount Horeb. God said, no, you need to be in Damascus. And so this is where he sent him. Go, return thy way on the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphath, of uh, Abimelech, there you go, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. So he departed thence, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him, cast his mantle upon him. Let's stop there, and we'll pray, and we'll pick up the story as we go through the text. Father, we, know, we do love you. We thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you that you are at work uh, with all of our missionaries all over the world. Uh, but we're also thankful that you're at work this morning uh, in our heart and life. And, and Lord, help us to be sensitive to what your word has for us. Help us to, to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit as he teaches us. And, and God, may you be glorified with the response. Help us to be not only hearers of your word, but doers of your word. Help us to have ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us. And Lord, as we talk about reaching the next generation and, and investing our life in a way that leaves a legacy, uh, Lord, will you just bless the teaching of your word so that, that Christ can be glorified. We love you. We thank you for the privilege of meeting together and studying together. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so here's this cool story, right? It, it's, it's Elijah kind of going to find his disciple, if you will. He's going to find the next prophet of Israel. God ordains that. God orchestrates that. In other words, uh, Elijah's ministry is going to wind down. Elisha's ministry is going to begin. It's a great Old Testament picture of discipleship. And, and what a fitting time to study this text uh, knowing that we have Discipleship Conference coming up this month, we're, we're kind of putting this month's emphasis on discipleship, and we're just calling the, 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 the passage or the, the series Passing the Mantle, Passing the Mantle to the Next Generation, Passing the Mantle, Reproducing Your Life and the Life of Christ from Your Life into Another Believer. You guys okay with that statement? Passing the Mantle to the Next Generation. Let me tell you why that's important. First and foremost, the first point in your notes is this. Look, passing the mantle results in multiplication. It results in multiplication. God told Elijah, you're going to go anoint Haziel, king over Syria. You're going to anoint Nimshi, king over Israel. And you're going to anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphath. You're going to anoint him to be prophet in thy room. Okay, and, and that doesn't mean like bring him to your room and anoint him in your room. It, it means in your stead. We'll talk about that in just a second. So Elisha is a prophet of God. He was, go to, he was to go and anoint 
the next generation of leaders for Syria, for Israel, and for the prophecy or the room of the prophet. In other words, God called him to invest in the next generation. He had a pretty successful ministry. We spent all of the end of last year in January studying his ministry. God wasn't done with him. God wanted to make sure he invested in the next generation. And that's going to paint a picture for us, church. Listen, we need to be reaching down to the next generation. We have to invest our life in a way that leaves a legacy for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he says, go and anoint. In your notes, here's a key principle. This anointing that he would have anointed these kings and Elisha with would have been with oil. Okay, this anointing would have been with oil. He would have gone, probably olive oil, pure olive oil. He would have anointed their head. uh, And with that anointing came a proclamation, you're going to be king, you're going to be prophet. We see this in the book of Exodus, chapter 28 and verse 41. Concerning the priesthood, Moses and Aaron. The Bible says, thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him and shall anoint them. And listen, that anointing meant that they were going to be consecrated to God. Anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them. In other words, set them apart. Why? That they may minister to me in the priest's office. So the anointing on a man's life means that he was separated unto God for God's purposes to minister on behalf and to the Lord. Exodus 29 and verse 7, the Bible says, Then shalt thou take the anointing oil and pour it upon his head and anoint him. Okay, you say, Jay, why is this important for me to understand? Well, oil in your Bible is a type or a picture of the Spirit of God. The oil that is anointing, that that, that Elijah is using to anoint, it's it's a type or a picture of the Spirit of God on our life and in our life. Jesus Christ himself said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, listen, because he hath anointed me. And what did he anoint me to do? To preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. The anointing results in a calling. When you have the Spirit of God in your life and on your life, God has separated you, consecrated you, sanctified you for His purposes. You okay with that, church? So listen, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that you and I have received the anointing from God's Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 21, now he which establisheth us with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God, who hath also sealed us. How did he do that? He's given us the earnest of the Spirit in our what? Okay, so listen, church. You've been anointed by God Almighty. When you responded to the gospel, the Spirit of God anointed you. He, God established you. God sealed you. God gave the earnest of the Spirit to you. Why did he do that? So that you can go and reproduce. That's our calling. Our calling is that we are to go and to reproduce just like Elijah did in Elisha's life. Listen, we are to preach the gospel. And I don't know why I'm not getting amens right now. We're to preach the gospel. And listen, when a person receives Christ, 
They are established, they are anointed, they are sealed, and they are commissioned as well. So the saved people in the house need to understand we are called to multiply. Not come and sit in church. We are called to multiply, to preach the gospel, and to make disciples. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. You say, Jay, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Brother, I don't either. And Timothy didn't either. But we are all called to do the work of evangelism. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. The Bible says, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. The ministry is, is to multiply ourselves spiritually, the life of Christ in us, into the lives of other people. So, so like Josh said, Josh already preached the sermon. Go tell somebody about Jesus. I don't have the gift of evangelism. It's okay. Go ahead and do it anyways. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not your gift. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God has called us to preach the gospel. Listen, you invite people to church, but as you're inviting them, preach the gospel, please. Please understand that we are called to go out and multiply. Does this make you uncomfortable? It's a lot easier to invite people to church or just come and sit in church, right? That's not what God's called us to do. God told Elijah, go find Elisha and anoint him. Multiply your life. Multiply your ministry into his life. And by the way, God initiated that. That's not Elijah's preference. God initiated that. And God initiated us to go and preach the gospel and to make disciples. And if you're not interested in that, friends, I don't know what you could be possibly interested in. That is the mission. Listen, Elijah was instructed to go and find Elisha and to anoint him. And the Bible says, in thy room. In other words, it didn't mean, hey, bring him back to your living room and anoint him in your house, Elijah. That's not what he's saying. In thy room means in thy stead or in thy place or uh, instead of you or on behalf or in behalf of you. In other words, Elijah's ministry was soon going to end. Many of you know the story. At some point, God's going to take him up in a chariot of fire. His ministry is going to end, but the ministry of God doesn't end. God's ministry continues. And, and by the way, I'll just give you the, the freebie. When Elijah goes up, there's something that falls from him as he goes up in the chariot of fire. It's his mantle. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. And there's a man named Elisha that has to make a choice to pick up that mantle and to fulfill his ministry that God had called him to do. And so, and so please understand, listen, we all, listen, we're all going to live a short time on this life and, and we're all going to, you know, if the Lord doesn't come and rapture us out of here, well, we're all going to die. But that doesn't mean your ministry has to die. You see, when you invest in the next generation, when you invest your life in the life of other people, well, you have multiplied the ministry. You have a successor. There is no success in ministry without a successor. I mean, there, there isn't. And so, and so, listen, who is going to minister, let me use the phrase from the Bible, in thy room? Who, who is your multiplied ministry? Who is the person, the man, the woman, whom you have invested your life into? And, and you may be here and say, Jay, I, 
I haven't invested my life in anybody I need to be invested in. Praise the Lord that you came to that realization. But just understand, you need to understand that you need to be invested in so that you can invest in others. That's the point. It's not self-serving. It's not so that it's focused on yourself. It's focused on the kingdom. Listen, who have you reached with the gospel? Who have you multiplied your life, the life of Jesus Christ into? If our spiritual legacy ends with us, we don't have much of a legacy. We don't have much of a legacy. And all through your Bible, listen, there are example after example of men of God and women of God leaving a legacy Moses was a tremendous leader, but you know what? He had a man named Joshua that he invested in that was his minister, his servant. And by the way, Joshua's ministry accomplished what Moses' ministry couldn't. You know, Moses brought the law, but Moses couldn't get Israel into the promised land. But guess what? Joshua could. And that is a picture of the law, and it's a picture of Christ. But I just want to make the practical application. Joshua's ministry was greater than Moses' ministry. When you invest in the life of somebody else, when you multiply your ministry, you expect God to bless them. Elijah is going to invest in Elisha. And listen, Elisha asked for a double portion of Elijah's spirit on his life. And guess what? God answered that prayer. Elijah had a pretty successful ministry. Elisha's ministry was twice as powerful. Jesus had a tremendous ministry with his 12 disciples. Would you agree? But, but listen, when you read the book of Acts, we spent over a year in the book of Acts on Wednesday night, those disciples' ministry, Peter preaches, and in one day, 3,000 people get saved. Jesus didn't have that kind of day in ministry. Now, I know it's because of Jesus that that, that was accomplished, but I'm just saying that his disciples multiplied his ministry. We have to come to the place where we understand that true ministry is about multiplication. We have to learn to reach the next generation. We have to preach the gospel. We have to make disciples, and we have to be intentional about it. Verse 19, the Bible says, So he departed tents and found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. So the next point for study is this. Passing the mantle is an invitation to follow. It is an invitation to follow. And, and see what happens. I mean, God told him specifically who to go find. And so Elijah went and found that specific man. And as he did, he went by him. The Bible says he passed by him. And as he passed by, he cast his mantle on him, his, his priest mantle, if you will. And we'll talk about that in just a second. The point is, he went and found who he was supposed to find. And here's a simple key principle in ministry that we all have to understand. Look, we will always find what we're looking for. You say, man, that's, that's pretty simple, Jay. How, how did you get that? Uh, you know, my PhD and, okay, no, look, look, you're, you're always going to find what you're looking for. So, so let me just break it down simple so we can understand it. If you're looking for people to share the gospel with, guess what? You'll find them. If you're looking for people to share the gospel with, church, you'll find them. If you're looking for people to invest in as far as discipleship, you will find them. If you're looking for anything other than those two things, 
You'll find that too. You'll find it. Whatever you want, you'll find it. And so listen, he found Elisha. He found the man that God said, go find and anoint. And listen, I'm trying to judge my time here. I think a lot of us in this church understand that we're called to make disciples and we're, go- we're called to preach the gospel. We're just not really interested in looking for those opportunities. We're not looking. For whatever reason, we're not looking. Friend, you'll find what you're looking for. If you desire to preach the gospel and be obedient to the Great Commission, you'll find people to share it with. If, if, you're, if you're committed to invest your life into people to disciple, and I love you all, but listen, if you have to come to me to find somebody to disciple, you're missing the point. Go win somebody to Jesus. Go win somebody to Jesus. Go preach the gospel. Go invest your life. You say, well, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard for everybody, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, last time I checked, man, people aren't just beating the door down to hear the gospel in this country. But that hadn't excused us from going and preaching it. And, and, And listen, when you win somebody to Christ, well, you got some flesh in the game now. You got some flesh and game. You got some investment in the lives of other people. You have someone now that you've personally been used by God to make an eternal difference in. And those are the people that, that God's really called you to invest in. So he went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphath. The name Shaphath means he hath judged, okay? And, and, and Elisha is, you know, he's in the field. He's managing the field of his father. We'll get to this in just a second. He's managing 12 yoke of oxen. 12 yoke of oxen are plowing. There's a good chance that there's a servant over each yoke of oxen. The Bible tells us that that Elisha is with the 12th yoke or pair of oxen. And so Elisha passes by, and the Bible says that he cast his mantle on him. Okay, what's a mantle? Well, in the Old Testament, a prophet would have a huge like overcoat. Think Jedi robe. Okay, and everybody's eyes, especially the young men, just lit up. Think Jedi robe, all right, his cloak, uh, you know, that's his garment. That's the prophet's garment. And listen, that mantle is symbolic of his calling and his ministry. First Kings 19 tells us this, when, when we were with Elijah in the cave and he was facing discouragement, the Bible says in, in 1 Kings 19 and verse 13, it was so that when Elijah heard it, he heard the voice of God, that he wrapped his face in his mantle. He had taken it off, by the way. He decided to quit. And God said, I'm not done with you yet. And so he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entering end of the cave. It was his mantle. It was his calling. It was his ministry, and now by him casting that mantle onto Elisha, it is a picture that signifies a transference of ministry to another. It's a transference of ministry to another. Listen, Samuel the prophet, if you, we don't have time, but if you go to 1 Samuel 15, Samuel the prophet had a mantle. He was a man of God, the messenger of God, the prophet of God. He had a mantle and when he gave Saul the bad news that, hey, your, your kingdom is rent from you, it's torn from you, the Bible says that Saul grabbed a hold of him by the skirt of his 
mantle and he tore it. And so that mantle is symbolic. He is passing on, he's transferring that ministry to the next generation. And here's what's beautiful. Where did Elijah find Elisha? He found him in the field. He found him in the field. Well, if you're a student of the Bible, there's two applications of that that you should automatically recognize. Number one, the Bible tells us that the field in Matthew 13 is the world. In other words, if we're going to find people to invest in, the way Elijah invested in Elisha, we have to go to the field. And how many times do we just look inside of these four walls? God's called us to go out into the field, the world, to reach people with the gospel. Matthew 13 and verse 38. The field is the world, okay? So evangelistically, we need to go find some people and preach the gospel to them. I mean, that's the Great Commission. That's it. And a lot of churches, it's the great omission. God help it not to be the case here. And a lot of Christians' lives, it is the great omission. And we'll sit around and we'll study our Bibles, man, and we'll have our Christian clubs and we'll come to church 10 times a week and we'll listen to our favorite author and we'll do all the different things except the one thing that God has called us to do. Go preach the gospel. Well, I can't preach the gospel. I can't. Do you know it? <laughs> do you know it? I mean, the only people that are validated to actually preach are the people that have experienced it, that know it. And so listen, man, we, we have to, I know it's quiet in here this morning because it's probably hitting close to home to most of us. We are called to walk out of this room and this building, love on people, but present them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. The field is the world, and we're called to go into the field. You come on Wednesday night, you're going to get a heavy dose of this. Because 1 John is all about having fellowship with God, and if we have fellowship, we'll follow him, we'll follow him to the field, because that's where God's working, in the field. Secondly, this is a picture of discipleship, because he is in the field, and he's laboring. And so listen, once you get saved, you are called to work in the field that you got saved from. <laughs> How'd you miss that? I mean, we're to invest in those people that are faithful in the field. And so listen, Elijah found Elisha plowing in a field, and may I just possibly put into your uh, consideration that the people that are really ready to be discipled are the people that are faithful. They're already doing something. They're already faithful with what they know to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, all the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, the same commit thou to all men. That's not what he said. He said, commit those things to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. God has called us to commit to faithful people. And listen, if you're not faithful, you can't be entrusted with important things like the Word of God, like the ministry. And maybe you say, man, I, I want to I be discipled. Well, then be faithful. Be faithful. You know what I found interesting in this church and, and my home church in Decatur? We really talk a lot about discipleship, and then when people commit to be discipled, it's like they fall out of church. It's like they commit to get discipled, and then they get connected with a disciple, and then all of a sudden, you don't see them for months at a time. Well, wait a second. The whole criteria for you to be discipled is that you are faithful. 
And so now we're connecting you with someone that can invest their life, the life of Christ into you, the Word of God into you, to bring you to a point of maturity. And then all of a sudden, where do you go? You're not in the field anymore. You're taking a nap. I mean, I don't know where you go. It's a strange phenomenon. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. The Bible is over and over consistent with this principle. If I will stay faithful where I'm at, God will send someone into my life to help me get me where he wants me to go. I need to be faithful right where I am. You say, Jay, I want to do all these things. You be faithful where you are. You do what you know to do right now. What do you know to do? You know to read your Bible. You know to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know to show up at church. You know to pray. You know to give. I mean, all these things are just kind of given through understanding by the Holy Spirit of God. You just know what to do. Stop sinning. Start walking with the Lord. This is real deep this morning. And if I'll just be faithful to God, faithful to His church, faithful to His Word, God is going to bring somebody into my life to help me get where God wants me to go. Elisha didn't really understand his plan, God's plan on his life, but God used a man named Elijah to bring it to him. Mm. So Elijah passed by and he cast his mantle on, on him. By the way, the Bible says that he passed by. He didn't stop. He passed by. He extended the invitation, but Elijah did not stop to help him plow in the field. Because Elijah had other ministry to do. He had other kings to anoint. And, and the point is, listen, Elijah had ministry to do. The invitation was to follow him. Jesus Christ gives us that invitation when we get saved. He saves us from our sin, but the invitation is to follow him. But can I just tell you, he's moving. He's moving. And, and, and we have to choose to go and join him. Well, I think a lot of times in our life in Christianity, man, we want to sit around and ask, ask Jesus to sit with us, stay with us. Let's plant right here, God, where what my life is all about, what I'm wanting out of life and all these. And listen, God is moving. God is moving and our calling is to join him. And boy, we got it backwards. Elijah passed by, cast his mantle on him and he kept going. Come follow me. You know what I've done. Pick it up in the next verse. Verse 20. And he left the oxen, the Bible says in verse 20, and he ran after Elijah and he said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow thee. Let me give you the third point and we're done as we work through this point. Look, passing of the mantle, well, listen, it makes us count the cost. It makes us count the cost. It makes us count the cost of following a discipler. It makes us count the cost of following Christ. And friend, let me just help you understand, it will cost you everything to follow the Lord the way the Lord wants you to follow him. Elisha says, well, let me go back and kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. We've never said that, right? Well, just let me, let me finish school, and, and then I'll follow you, Lord. Then I'll get discipled. Well, I, you know, let me, get, let me get my home established. Let me get married. Let me have a couple kids, kind of get the American dream working in my life. Then I'll follow you. Let me get my first job. Let me get my car. 
that I'm really pursuing. Let me get all my vacation out of the way. Then I'll follow. Mm. Look, at, look at Elijah's answer to him. He said unto him, go back again, for what have I done to thee? I mean, if you don't want to follow, you don't have to follow. I mean, what have I done? And he returned back from him, and he took a yoke of oxen, and he slew them, and he boiled their flesh when the instruments of the oxen, and he gave to the people they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah, and he ministered to him. Let's talk about the counting of the cost in our life to be a disciple. Number one, Elisha had to count the cost of self. He had to count the cost of self. Let me go kiss my father, my mother, then I will follow you. And listen, we do the same thing. Let me do this first, Lord. You know, if we have to do something else first, is the Lord really Lord? That's the question, right? Let me get done with school. Let me get my career out of the way. Let me get the guy. Let me get the girl. Let me get married. Let me get my family. Let me get my career. Well, let me retire, Lord, and then I'll have time to serve you. See, the truth is, instead of saying, let me, we need to be saying, let's go. Let's go. Here's the invitation to follow. Let's go. Luke 14 and verse 27, the Bible says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You say, man, that's, that's pretty high cost to follow Jesus. Well, I didn't write it. The Lord wrote it. The Lord himself spoke it. The calling of discipleship is to bear our cross. It's to die to ourself. And so here's the principle you and I have to understand. Self in our lives will always have an excuse to delay obedience. Did you know that? Did you realize that every time God called you to take the next step, that God called you to follow, there is always going to be an excuse to delay your obedience? I mean, there is. So what do you do with that? You ignore it and you follow. You ignore it and you follow. You count the cost. It's going to cost you to follow Christ. It's going to cost you to be a disciple. It's going to cost you to multiply your life into other people. But Jesus is worth the cost. He is worth the cost. Secondly, Elisha had to count the cost of his family. He had to count the cost of his family. Because he says in verse 20, the Bible says he left the oxen. He ran after Elijah. Hey, let me kiss my father and kiss my mother. And so there were these parental strings attached to him. And listen... Family is important. God has ordained family. Those relationships certainly are God-ordained. But you know what? Family can become a God in our lives if we're not careful. Family can sometimes keep us from following God. Family can sometimes keep us from becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Luke 14 and verse 26, Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You say, man, God's called me to hate my... No, listen, he's not called you to hate them. He's just called you to love him more than all of these. More than all these. More than your children, more than your spouse. By the way, you can't be the right spouse, the right mother, the right father, the right grandparent. You can't be any of those things if your love for the Lord is not number one. You can't. He has to have the preeminence. How could Jesus say such a thing? Well, he's God. <laughs> and if we worship any other relationship other than that relationship, it is idolatry. It is idolatry. 
God teaches us that these relationships are valuable, but none of them can compare to our personal relationship with Him. And by the way, if we have a right relationship with Him, that gives us the power to have right relationships in all areas. That's where the power of those relationships come from. It comes from a right relationship with Jesus. So listen, parents, let me just help us because I'm in that boat. Sometimes we make our kids idols in our life. We get them too involved in activities. They become the object of our worship, our uh, attempts at appeasement and contentment and pleasure. And I'll just say it. Look, God's called us to be faithful to him. And that means coming to church. That means spending time in his word. That means prayer. That means having a home that's Christ-focused. And if we don't have time to do everything, we need to do those things. That's the priority. And, and young children, listen, let me just love you enough to say, you need to learn to have a right relationship with Jesus. Young adults, teenagers, you need to learn that, that video games and sports and all these other things aren't God. Jesus is. And to have a right relationship with him will help you have a right relationship with your parents. You know, many times in church, blood is thicker than water. But I'm here to tell you, blood's not thicker than Bible. Blood's not thicker than Bible. God's called us to count the cost of following him. We can't use our family as an excuse not to follow. We can't use it as an excuse not to follow. Number three is this. Elisha counted the cost of his career. Because the Bible says he was plowing in a field with the 12th yoke of oxen. And in verse 21, the Bible says that he returned back from, from him, from Elijah, and he took a yoke of oxen. And he slew them, and I bet that was the twelfth yoke. He slew them, he boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, he gave unto the people, and they did eat. In other words, he had a cookout. And what he used for the cookout was the twelfth yoke of oxen that he was plowing his father's field with. Who, by the way, would, would have probably inherited that field and those servants and those workers and those oxen to him, to Elisha. He counted the cost of his career. In other words, he slaughtered the oxen, he broke the plow down, he used that to start the barbecue, and he fed everybody a ribeye. And then he said, peace, I'm out. <laughs> and he went and followed Elijah. Right? It's in the, it's in the Hebrew, if you get in there. <laughs> Listen, he had no plan, he had no certainty other than what God was doing in his life at that moment. So listen, if your career, your job, your financial status is what gives you security and certainty in life, then God will never, able, never be able to move you from that to the next step. Do you realize that? If, if your career, your provision, your economic status, your certainty, man, I, I'm supposed to be right here forever, you've closed the door on God moving you from that spot to the next spot. So who's your security really in? And your job or in the Lord. And, I, and I'm just telling you that the God that calls you is the God that's big enough to supply your every need. Okay, now we're warming up. Look at, look at Luke 14 and verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all. How much? All that he hath. He cannot be my disciple. You say, Jay, man, I can't quit my job to become a disciple of Jesus. Why? Why couldn't you? Why couldn't you trust God to give you a job that allows you to please him with your life? Why couldn't you 
Trust God with a job that allows you to have Sundays off or, or Wednesdays off or, or allows you to meet for discipleship or allows you opportunity to go out in the community and preach the gospel. Or by the way, why don't you just go where you already are and preach the gospel because that is your mission field. I mean, why can't you just trust God with that? Well, I need this job, man. If I not preach the gospel, I'll get fired. Is your job more important than obedience? Who else on that job is a Christian that's going to share the love of Christ with the people that you work with? Are we, are we okay this morning? I mean, listen, let's get down to brass tacks, man. That is the Great Commission. If you are the only Christian in your organization or your company, who is going to tell them if you don't? Well, I'm praying somebody will. God put you there to give you a platform for the Great Commission. By the way, not to consume your career upon your own lust. Number four, Elisha counted the cost of pursuit. He counted the cost of pursuit. So the Bible says in, in chapter 19, verse 21, then he arose and he went after Elijah. You say, Jay, how do you know Elijah didn't just stop and have this conversation? Because Elisha had to go catch up with him. Elijah just kept going. He gave the invitation. Here's the mantle. What have I done to you? Let's go. And he just went. He just went. And Elijah had to make, Elisha had to make the decision, I, I've got to count the cost to pursue him and to go after him. And so the Bible says that he arose and he went after Elijah and he ministered unto him, unto Elijah. He arose and he went after and he ministered. You say, well, I wonder what that ministry looked like. Well, I'm glad you asked because in 2 Kings chapter 3 it tells you. This is a, a tremendously important ministry in the life of Elijah's life. You ready? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered, and he said, Here is Elijah, the son of Shaphath, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. What a tremendously powerful ministry, popular ministry. I mean, listen, how much more extravagant can you get in ministry? Elisha, what's your ministry? Well... I go get a bucket of water, and I come back to my, my disciples, uh, wherever he's at, and I say, hold your hands out, and I pour the bucket of water on his hands, and he, he washes his hands. That's it. That's it. <laughs> wow. Sign me up. Isn't that, isn't, isn't that just, man, doesn't everybody desire a kind of ministry like that? That's real glorious ministry. That's like leading a praise band or, or preaching or, you know, teaching a class. No, it, it's going to get in a bucket of water and pouring it on your disciples' hands. He, he, learned to, he learned to be a servant. He learned to be a servant. He learned to be humble. He learned to humble himself. By the way, the greatest servant is the Lord Jesus Christ, who not only washed his disciples, but he washed their, their feet, humbled himself even more. You know, Elijah, Elisha's time in the spotlight would come, but it was only after he was prepared. God had to prepare him by humbling him and just letting him serve in, in ministry that really wasn't prominent, it wasn't powerful, it wasn't prestigious, but it was needed. It was needed. So listen, I think I, I, think I got all your blanks. God's called us to pass the mantle. Some of us in this room are looking for people to pass the mantle to. 
Some of the people in this room need to be the people that we can pass it to. And, and God's given us the qualifications of what's required. Men that are faithful, men that are in the field, women that are faithful, women in the field, lest you think I'm trying to be gender specific. I am being very purposeful with these words, but okay, look, men or women, God's called us to be faithful where we are in the field. God's called all of us to go outside of these walls into the world, into the world. And guys, listen, at the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand to give an account of our life and our ministry, God's not going to give us a written test of how many Bible verses that we can quote, how many fill-in-the-blanks we can accomplish. God's going to be looking for the souls of men that we have reached with the gospel and we have invested in through discipleship who have the life of Christ transferred from us into them who are growing up into maturity so they can do the same thing. That is what it is all about. Let's pray.